Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm making one of those, uh, we, we kind of call, you know, we're kind of getting into, I think, I can feel the suspense in the air of football. And so it's one of these game time decisions I'm making here, uh, right at the last moment. You know how coaches will sometimes do that, or maybe the quarterback might, <laughs> or a pitcher. And um, notice 1 Corinthians here. Go with me, if you will, to the epistle to the Corinthians. And I'll, I just want to read briefly here. There's, there's really a hundred places we could go for what I want to do this morning and what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart for the next few weeks to talk about. I told you uh, a few weeks back when we were still in the Samuel series that we were going to start a new series on atonement. And so we're doing that this morning. And so if you will, notice this reading here from the Apostle Paul, starting with verse 3 of 15. Now you should already know if you're versed in the scriptures that chapter 15 is this standard foundational text. We're not going to look at all of it, but notice these words. For I delivered, this is Paul speaking, to you as of first importance... (laughs) what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still uh, alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary... I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let us pray. Lord of these scriptures, would you enlighten us this morning in the time we have together by your light? the light of Jesus Christ, we pray in your name. Amen. We all know what atonement is. We've seen it. We've needed it. (laughs) We've observed it. You know, on the playground, for instance, right? If you just go hang out at a park and watch on the playground you will see atonement played out right there in the swings and on the slides. For instance, you hit me, right? And then the other person will respond back, maybe, well then, well then hit me back. Why, why would they do that? Why would they feel the need for something like that? I, I see this all the time at my own personal playground around back. Uh, somebody whops somebody or elbows somebody in the head, and then they try to make atonement for that. (laughs) Uh, We wrong someone and then we ask, 
how can I make that right? I remember as a child, I said something really terrible one night to Justin. I, I remember it very clearly uh, as we were watching the Dallas Cowboys play on Monday Night Football, and my mom and dad weren't there, and so we were by ourselves. And I said something really nasty to him, and, and I could tell it hurt him. And I'd never really seen that, you know, in my brother. I mean, you know, most of the time brothers are pretty hard-skinned toward each other. But I could tell this particular thing really hurt him. And, and I, I immediately did sort of a turnaround to where I was wanting to reverse that situation. I, I didn't want him. He actually started crying. Sorry, Doc. If you're in my life, just it's kind of a forewarned thing, you know. If you're close to me at all, you're going to get used sometime in an illustration. And and I I remember saying, man, you know, how can I make this right? And we've all been there, haven't we? Personally speaking, we've all needed atonement, and we've all wanted to give atonement. In other words, we've wanted to reverse something that we've done wrong. We've wanted to reconcile with those who we have wronged. Well, when we move from the personal to the historical, then you really, it picks up speed. There is no religion in the world that doesn't have sacrifice for wrongdoing. It may look differently. It may be in the form of an animal or in a libation. It may be in the form of self-sacrifice or human sacrifice. But every religion has sacrifice. To make things right, it's going to cost you something. Religion in many ways can be summed up as binding ourselves to a way that makes us right to the order of the world. That's really what all religions are trying to do is trying to find that order in the world and align ourselves to that. You could say, reconcile ourselves to that order. Atonement. So historically speaking, it's all over the place. You say, well, what does that look like in our modern religion of secularism or just the religion of self which seems to be sort of the dominant religion in our American culture, well, it really shows itself in the most detestable act of abortion. Babies were sacrificed in the Old Testament to Moloch. And I think that demon still exists today, and people sacrifice their own pleasure or money or consequences in the name of hedonism It's sick, but it certainly is trying to atone for a wrong deed. You know, biblically speaking, our first parents sin in this idyllic Eden garden that God creates. And you know the story well. It's, I kind of feel like I'm today preaching to the choir. This is all stuff that everybody already knows. But that's kind of a good thing sometimes. When you're in uncharted territory, you kind of feel people out. This is something we should all already be saying amen to and understanding to. That is, they sin and then they go and hide. The text tells us 
that they gather fig leaves because they realize that they were naked. And they cover themselves by sewing them together. And then they go hide. And they're already hiding from one another. They're already covering themselves. And God comes looking for them. And like a parent, really, he comes in, sees the mess, right? Do I have any parents that had come in and see a mess all of a sudden in a room? Who did this? I ask that more than I want to. Why is my charger here? You know, it doesn't go here. <laughs> uh, why is my phone over there? And then a lot of times what will happen, like you when you were a child, is they'll go and hide. Right? You come in there and say, who did this? And guess what? Nobody's around. Well, you know it didn't just happen. But then all of a sudden you see little eyes coming above. Is he gone yet? <laughs> the Genesis story is a beautiful narrative that captures all of us. We've all been there before. We've all made a mess and we've all tried to cover it up and hide. And some of us have gotten really good at it. But I will warn you because I've warned myself because I've been exposed before by other people who love me. And that is, you think you do a good job hiding or covering when in fact we don't do as good of a job as we think we do. The Bible says this, your sin will surely find you out. We can't play with fire and not smell like smoke. And we can't sin and cover it up ourselves. Not according to the Bible. Against you and you only have I sinned, David said. When in fact he'd hurt a lot of people. He heard his own testimony. He had killed Uriah and violated Bathsheba. But most importantly, he had gone against God's order and design. He had said, this is my way. I will take the fruit. I will make of the universe what I want. He became God. Just as our first parents tried to become. And it's interesting that it's in this understanding that the early English translators, Tyndall, Luther, translating in German come to this concept in the Old Testament that does not have a one-to-one word. You know, when you're translating languages, that happens quite often. There's just not the exact word in our language that's in theirs. And so these early English translators come up with a word that means to cover sin in the way that God did it, not the way that Adam and Eve did it. They tried to cover themselves with vegetation. But remember the Genesis account. What are they covered with by God? Animal skins. That means, of course, sacrifice. Blood. And there is no 
forgiveness. Expiation without blood. Not in the Bible. Maybe in our way of doing things. But not according to the Bible. Leviticus 16 tells us about the day of atonement. And this word, atonement, is a created English word to capture this concept that we're speaking about of how God covers sin. It literally was forged by the early translators of our English text at one meant. At one with God. Made one with God. The Hebrew word actually has this idea of covering, like God does in the garden. But it also has the idea of blotting out. Like blotting out a stain. Reversing it through expiation or expungement. Kind of some interesting words, but meaning clearing that stain. Reversing the messed up shirt. I keep these little um, shout wipes, right? Yeah. With me, because inevitably, I go to lunch, and I have on a shirt that I want to wear the whole day. You know, that's kind of why you put it on at the beginning of the day. And I don't keep two shirts. Instead, I keep these little wipes. And when I get something on my shirt, I start, you know what I mean? And I blot out that stain so that I can continue to wear the shirt in a, in a similar way, not on the same scale by any means. God, through blood sacrifice, animal sacrifice in particular in the Old Testament, blots out our sin. That is atonement. He covers it. In other words, only death can blot out life. And only life can blot out death, which is why blood sacrifice is God's only way for reconciliation and atonement. For when you eat of the tree, you will surely, what? Die. There will be death. There will be blood. Now, we all understand that. And we're all very thankful of that. That Jesus, of course, has become for us our atonement. He is the means by which we are atoned to God. Reconciled to God. Made right. Made one. There's a rift. There's a barrier. He breaks the barrier. He restores us and reverses the curse. So... Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how that happens, though. That's the idea, is that it has happened. And like Paul says here, look, it's been delivered to me as a first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. It really is what we say every single Sunday because it's fundamental to what we believe, it needs to come out of our mouth so that it lodges in our heart, it changes our mind, that Christ's work for us 
and in our place is salvation. And yet the question remains, how does that save us? How does His person, how does His work on the cross, how does His blood save us? We have symbols all over the place, and we constantly are reminded, just like we were today in our readings, of this sacrifice. But we, like all people, like to know why. We, like little children, ask why. So why did He have to die? Why did He have to come? Why couldn't He have waved a wand? Why couldn't He, like He did in creation, speak a word? You're forgiven. You're covered. Why did the Son of God have to take on flesh, live, suffer, die, be raised, and ascend in order to save us? And then, how does that save us? (laughs) A lot of great questions. What I want to say today is not the answer to those questions. However, instead, this. We need the reality of the atonement more than we need an explanation of the atonement. You follow what I'm saying here? I'm saying this. We need to be able to flip on the switch and the light come on more than we understand if it was hydroelectricity or nuclear power, or coal power, and what substations it came from. What matters is the light is shining in our heart because of the power of God in these acts of coming and living and dying and rising. Not in the explanation of it. Put simply, we need the reality of God's atonement for us more than we need the doctrine. Although we're going to be exploring the doctrine over the next four weeks. <laughs> so I'm not to say I'm not, I'm not throwing it in the trash. I'm simply saying before we get into the how of the mechanics, let us first experience here his atonement for us. Let Him cover you in His righteous clothing. I always love that image. I don't know about you, but for me, and I think for Jessica, I can speak for her, you know, you you get a new shirt, and this is not a new shirt, but you get a new shirt, and I mean, you just kind of feel a little more confident at work, you know? Now, nobody else notices that shirt, you know? Nobody else has a clue, but you just like, yeah, you know, just... Do my work a little better today. and Just because of a clothing change. And I, and I love how we are to be, Paul says, clothed in Christ's righteousness. We're to put on new clothes. Not the old ones that we try to cover ourselves with. But His pure righteousness. <laughs> You know, we always like to reduce things, don't we? I mean, it's why we have Cliff's Notes. It's why we have summaries. Sometimes, 
if someone gets long in a story, forgive me for this if I've done this, I'll say, hey, can you just summarize for me uh, where, where all this is headed? I try to be nice about it. We like to reduce things, don't we? It's called reductionism. We like to bring it down. Just, just give me the three points, man. Don't let me walk through the whole journey. Just tell me what it's about, you know? You always talk about Lord of the Rings. And this just tell me what it's about. It's like, I, I'm sorry, I, I just can't do that. To reduce things is oftentimes to destroy them. Or, at the best, only give one or two small pictures. For instance, you go to the Grand Canyon. You're like, this is amazing. And somebody says, well, show me. And you show them a map. Well, there it is. You see how the various degrees go down on this topographical map? And you're like, yeah. Not very beautiful, though. Well, you have to be there. You have to see even pictures. I've noticed, like, I'll go to, you know, I've gone to India, to Haiti, and it's like, I'm very excited about the pictures I have. I think they're amazing. But then when I start showing those pictures, yeah, so uh, you, you figure we're going to eat in a little bit? And I'm like, man, something's being miscommunicated. Didn't you see that temple or that shot I had? Asked. You had to be there with the smells, with the heat, with the people, with the community of believers I was with. When you're there, it's a different experience than when you talk about it. You get my drift? The atonement is not meant to be merely a doctrine to be understood. Or believed, but rather something to be experienced. I can show you the map all day long and you're going to yawn. Only when we repent and believe will we know the reality that the map is pointing to. You know, I try not to. Um, <clears throat> Preach other people's sermons. I mean, I've, I've wanted to before. I've thought, man, that was legit. Gosh, per- beautiful, illiterate. I'm just going to, you know what? I don't even have any preparation this week. I'm just going to roll with this one. And, of course, the Lord never lets me do that. And in some ways, we see that almost as cheating, right? Jesus and John the Baptist do it. In the Bible, they preach the exact same sermon as you start the Gospels. It's this. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. John preached it, who was older than Jesus, his cousin, and then Jesus preached it. It must be worth preaching. It must be worth doing. You know, repentance assumes confession. In other words, you really can't repent of your sins unless you confess your sins. And belief assumes Jesus and His work. You can't believe in a salvation 
that Jesus is not a part of. It's not a saving, salvific salvation. (laughs) If it is, it's only a man-made atonement. And man-made atonements, they don't last. They don't go deep enough. A brother of mine in the faith one night called me at 9 o'clock and he said, please meet me at this church. This church in Decatur. He said, I've got some other people that's going to meet me there and I really need help. I felt demonic oppression in my life. I need some relief. I need some help. And he was driving a long distance just to come and meet with us. So I went and I left the house and, and went over to the church and about 9.30, and he began to, my dad was there, and he, my dad, wise as he is, he said, just start confessing your sin. And the guy did. And he started confessing and laying out things in front of about six men and women that loved him. And as he did, I could see a physical change in him. He had been carrying these things. He had been trying to cover them up keep them in, and it was killing him inside. It was a physical weight because of what the spiritual burden was. And as he began to unload and confess, he allowed Jesus to carry his sins. He allowed Jesus to cover his sins. Atonement. And, you know, it was... It's still, in my, in my walk with Jesus, it was one of the more powerful nights where I actually felt like I could see someone being saved. I mean, people, you know, have said that before. Yeah, you know, I prayed and, and the Lord saved me. I, this night, I could see that burden lifted and taken away and his sin nailed to the cross, never to be brought up again. Never to be brought up again. And if that's not good news, I really don't know how to preach good news. It's kind of like Kinlaw said one time, the greatest story, he said, every time I preach, I feel like I'm telling the greatest story ever told, told poorly. That's about the way I feel. Our sins do not have to bind us to the enemy. They don't have to be, we don't have to be enslaved to them. We don't have to carry them. But the only way to freedom is through confessing our sins, exposing them to the light, and repenting and turning around and following Jesus Christ. That's belief. You know, some things only grow in the dark, don't they? Certain types of mold only grows where it's dark. As soon as it's exposed to the sun, zaps it, kills it. That's the point. We need some people in our life. James says this, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. This is the ultimate goal of forming communities and bands and small groups is to be in a place where we can confess our sins in confidence, 
maybe not in a small group. For, for me, uh, I know for Justin, for me, maybe many of you in here, you have two or three people who you can go to and say, here it is. I don't, I don't want this in my life. Atonement is not for those who want to live like the devil and still go to heaven. It instead is for those who want to live and follow after God, His design for the world, and yet fail. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to. Is anybody in here like that? I want to follow you, Jesus, and we fail miserably. There's atonement for that. He's made a way for our unintentional sins and our intentional sins. But we must do our part, just like in the Old Testament. Confess your sin and repent and believe in God. Believe in the work of Jesus for you. John Wesley said when he was converted, he realized that Jesus had died for him. Not just for the world. It's one thing to believe it on this large scale. Has he died for you in your place for your sin? Faith is his gift to us as we believe on him for his atonement. Our human predicament has an answer. We don't have to wallow in our sins. We can proclaim something that is for all people. That is, because he came, he lived, he died, he rose, we can have atonement. We can be one with God. We don't have to remain separate from God. We can be His, and He ours. The fact is, Christ has died. The meaning of that is it's for us. Is it for you? Has He applied His blood to your sins? Not just the sins of our culture, not the sins of our fathers. Marshall's sin. If not, I've got, <laughs> according to the Bible and according to Paul, the best news we have, and that is God is ready to atone for what you've done. Reverse it. Repair it. Blot it out. Cleanse it. And he's ready to do it today. If you'll say, yes, Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.